I think there's a real important piece for allowing students not just to be fed, but to actually want to feed and, and want to share. And I don't think we've, we've, we've really settled on the understanding of how to teach collaboration. And all businesses are saying it. We want kids, we want learners who can collaborate. That was John Stewart. I'm Rich Bolas, and this is the Dad Mindset Show. John Stewart, the visionary behind the Living School, is an inspirational and forward thinking educator who is deeply committed to redefining the way we approach learning and education. As the curator of the Living School, John is known for his dedication to fostering critical thinking, collaboration, and a profound sense of responsibility among students. Quick side note, we first met John just before Christmas when we were travelling back down the East Coast. We were in Lennox Head getting ready to drive home to Victoria and Sarah happened to see a bus with the name Living School on it. A quick web search, a few YouTube interviews and more than a little serendipity later, we were having a tour of the school's farm campus with John and quite frankly, we were both blown away. We were so impressed with John and the Living School team that we decided to apply to enrol the kids in the school immediately. And we were lucky enough that they had space for all three kids. It's been a bit of a mission, and I want to acknowledge that we were in such a fortunate position to be able to do this, but over the last few weeks, we've moved 1,800 kilometres interstate, and we're now getting the kids ready to begin their first term at the living school. I have massive faith that this thing's going to work out, but I also have to admit, I did have one or two 2 a.m. moments of doubt. However, we're going to give it a red-hot go. The kids start on Monday, so I'll keep you posted. Anyway, enough about me. Back to the conversation with John. I really hope you enjoy it, and I hope it agitates you just enough in the best possible sense of the word. Please enjoy this conversation with John Stewart. John Stewart, welcome to the show. It's so good to have you here. Oh, thanks, Rich. Yeah, no, great to be here. And, um, I'm looking forward to a chat. <laughs> now, John, you're you're like famous for really going out at the pointy edge of education. Can you tell us what live what project you're working on right now? What is Living School? Yeah, it's an interesting one. Like, first of all, I'm pretty humble, so <laughs> I don't like the idea of famous or anything like that. But no, the focus of of just ideas and putting ideas into play. So, Living School has been birthed and born through my whole life. Um, I loved school and I, I went through school and school became a social entity but not really a learning empowerment. And so when I became a teacher, I started to realise schools haven't changed much. And so living school is about can you create a school where, as an American educationalist say, is learning life worthy? So we want to create a school where we reshape, rethink, we're not trying to be alternate, uh, we're trying to be progressive. And a progressive school is one where you can engineer inside a school the growth of a culture and the growth of a child through developmental phases. And what does that mean? Does it mean that a school gets to a point where the conclusion is a, is a, is a mark, the conclusion is an exam, or is the conclusion a reflection on what you've developed and grown and the connections, the networks you've created, not within a school, but in a community? Uh, can a school actually challenge you to be a better person, to grow a good human, um, to, to have more agency? So these are the, the, the trinkets of thoughts that 
I've kind of pulled into like a bowerbird into into my bower, and I'm trying to shape and craft uh, into this rich tapestry of a school called Living School. Yeah, can you walk us through what it physically is like? Because you've yeah. got the two campuses, haven't you? Yeah. So so Living School is a K to twelve school. I want it to be K to thirteen. Um, the first thing is we've looked at our structure of the year and so our term times are only six weeks long uh, so we have a six week long term and then there's a week off six week long term week off now each of those six weeks then I want students to leave and learners to leave empowered with six really big ideas and so not just something a theme like dolphins or pirates or or uh, Egyptians so each term has, a, has what we call a key, keystone theme. Term one is identity. Term two is nature. Term three is life and, and living. Term four is civilization. Term five is phenomena. And term six is service. So when we start doing this, it means every year you're going to come back in term one and inquire and dig deeper and, and go more broader into an understanding of what identity means. And that's got a memory component that you're re- reliving memory. So that's the first thing. The year is structured around six six week terms. The next and that thing- repeats. Oh, sorry, John. I was just going to say. And so every year goes through the same pattern each year, but it's like an upward spiral. They circle yeah. back to identity every first term of the year. Yeah, and it's an inquiry based. So so then our school wants to have three campuses. Um, with rites of passage. I think a K-12 school uh, is convenient, but it doesn't give challenge as to when you're moving social structures or you're moving into a new environment. So we want to still shake and and kind of agitate like a catalyst to, to make kids feel things. So I'm really big on the emotional intelligence. So our K-4 is framed around literacy, numeracy, curiosity. And curiosity is being inquisitive. So inquiring. Then five, six, seven, and eight is a middle school program intentionally designed so that the year eights are now leaders of a campus, of a school. And that's all around project-based learning or PBL and not about a product, but the process of learning through project-based development. And then we go to another rite of passage into the academy. And the academy has challenge-based learning which is expeditionary learning. So in 9 and 10, I want to take these students out and do challenges, digital detox, take them to places, you know, I want every student to stand on the edge of the Great Australian Bight and look out into the Southern Ocean. And if we go at the right time, you'll see the Southern right whales in their migration. And, And, you know, giving that experience is memorable. And then I want to look at how do we pathway students into learning patterns that suit them. So some will go into tertiary, but not all. So can we build a, a pathway to university that's really rigid and strong in the sense that they feel confident in their knowledge base of concepts? Can we build entrepreneurship where a three-year program, you come in and you leave with a business and investment through a Shark Tank idea? And can you have micro-credentials? Like can schools start to think about the future that business is thinking about right now, which is micro-skilling and upskilling, so that we get certified and we get this portfolio of learning, not just a mark. And then can we create um, a trade-based route for vocational 
learning too. So the school's got, it's like a trifle. There are so many layers that, that, that sit inside this school. And the pedagogy is really, can I create a love of learning and kindness? And that's the fundamental piece of a community. So I want to build a culture of good people so that the community benefits. And I think, Rich, um, that comes back to the definition of why we school. And I think we haven't thought about that clearly enough. I think we have to go back and start with what's the purpose of schooling? You know, is, is schooling to give an apprenticeship with a great band six or a mark so then you get into a meritocracy and then you realise you don't like that anyway? <laughs> you know, or is school, is, is school about really engaging kids in a community to improve the community because we've, we've built these schools around little cells called classrooms inside little blocks called buildings inside little perimeters with fences called schools and we're not allowing anyone in because we've got stranger danger fears or we're, we want to control the learning through accredited teachers only. You know, that's not the world. The world is, can we get the kids into the community so the community grows around a school? So I'm going on a bit, but I think it's really, really <laughs> fundamental yeah. that we understand school is fundamentally about improving a community. And if every generation can just improve community even a little bit, it means my future generations are going to be better than my generation. I was going to say, no one really talks about it like that. School, if you ask anyone on the street, they would say, oh, you go to school so you can either get a job or get to university. That's it. Like yeah. there's no talk of integrating and supporting and helping create a better community. I, I love the way that the school is way more integrated into the community, isn't it? I mean, can you talk about the the way that you like coordinate with the community and within the community? Yeah, so we're, we're, we go out for, as I said, our terms are all designed around these keystone themes. And so we link in with the network of, of opportunities, NGOs. Uh, it could be Tucky Tucky Land Care, so going out and planting. Like kids kids can plant a field of trees. And, and then they can watch when they leave school that these trees are now bigger than them. You know, so, so there's that scope. Um, kids can go and play their musical instruments in the nursing homes you know, these bastions of old people who live by themselves and, and they don't come out. So imagine having kids going in and, and they're playing amazing music to the elderly and supporting. And so there's that intergenerational connection again. Um, we, we get kids to the food, so foraging for the food and growing their own food and then feeding. Uh, we, we do uh, markets where we raise funds for the homeless uh, connections like that. We have an artisan program where some of the parents and some people who've got really creative skills, but they're not qualified accredited teachers, can come in and impart um, whether that's textiles, whether that's ceramics, uh, whether that's writing, public speaking. So, you know, school should be looking at this broad network. And the more that you connect with people, the more you connect with more people because that's the network theory. And so everything is about understanding the future through understanding community is the base. Yeah. And even like on a fundamental level of, of you know, using the community library rather than building one within the school. Oh, yeah, look, schools, schools, you know, I created this school in my house. You know, I didn't know if anyone would come to my school because 
you know, Stuart's mad idea of my house becoming a school. Um, but, you know, it, it's, it wasn't a huge, like I'm, I invested in it, but it's not a huge investment because firstly, I don't want to build a citadel to kids. I don't want to have all my kids feeling like they're going to the, the most expensive school and I've got everything brand new inside it and I've got a library, a swimming pool. There are all those things in the public domain. But we won't get kids going into those public spaces unless we've created the routines, the habits to be in those public spaces. So we use the public library, we use the public pools, we use the public fields. We have buses that take kids out rather than holding them in. And I think that's a fundamental piece where there's so much money spent on schools because we're trying to build everything internally. And I think it's, just, it's a real simple flip. There's a whole school outside and it's not <laughs> revolutionary, Rich. It goes back to the academy. You know, everyone talks about academic rigor and all those. The academy was the marketplace, the agora in Athens where Socrates, where Plato went and took the children and educated them through conversation, through observation, through inquiry in the public space. Yeah. What, what are some of your favorite sort of anecdotes of like how the kids have really flourished with their own yeah. projects or things like this? You must uh, have tons of them. Yeah. Look, and we don't suit everyone. I've got to qualify that. So, you know, there's some students we're not right for, and that's, that's fine because there's lots of places that are. But if I go back to, I've got one little story, uh, a little anecdote of a girl who came and she wouldn't get out of the car. She was crying. She was school anxious. Um, she'd removed all her eyebrows from anxious ner nervousness. Now she's confident, she's talking, she's uh, fully um, resolved all her anxiety and it's just like this butterfly that's, that's come out of a cocoon and uh, out of its uh, chrysalis. Um, we've got other students who we just won um, Climate Change Your Tune uh, which was with the United Nations. So our students all of a sudden got told, hey, you've got to be in Sydney in four days' time. So we said, yeah, let's do it. So we took them down and they went down and they performed and presented. And, and this song that they created over the floods, the historic floods last year, is now recognised as part of climate change and impact on climate change. Uh, we've got students who looked at the, the pinch points of rivers and and he looked at a diorama and he realized that water flowing through the river system, if you start to reforest around the pinch points, it slows down the current. So it's a natural solution to resolving this intense inundation that can come down our river systems. You know, I could go on with, with the social, emotional, intellectual growth of these kids, the expressiveness of students who, you know, wouldn't attend another school. We're, we're, we're saying, I, I don't want to get out of bed. I don't want to go to the school. Now they're on stage performing a, a, as a production, you know, in front of an audience of 350 people and they're coming every day. So, you know, like that's why we do it. That's the lift. The lift is seeing this uh, sense of students finding themselves and, and, and finding potential. What, what would be the, the best way to describe the difference then, John? How would you compare the, the traditional systems versus what you're doing? Well, I, th I think firstly it's about freedom and agency, you know, and freedom isn't kids running amok. 
you know, freedom has a real, a real simple formula to it. So first thing is I can give you as much freedom as you want if you can be responsible. If I know that you're responsible and you're going to act responsibly, I don't have any caution about what's going to happen unless it's a safety issue because I know you're taking responsibility. So we want to build the values of respect, responsibility, positive and productive relationships. So that's the first underpinning of of the school. The second is school agency. So, you know, I used to be in a sandstone schools and kids with blazers and little enamel badges and all these strange things. Um, And and now the the students will talk to us, so it's first-name basis for teachers. Now, that's not revolutionary, but what it does is it breaks down this sense of authority to where we're now in a relationship-building opportunity. And teachers all of a sudden are being called their first name, just like we do respectfully with the children. So, so that is an agency side of things. Kids understanding how they're learning and starting to set goals for themselves and personal pathways. Uh, no, no uniform. Come dressed as you feel individually you want to dress, but do so with respect of how you're dressing. Um, so that, that gives greater individuality and expression, but also has a, a, a regulation, a reflection on awareness and regulation, which is emotional intelligence. It so seems like, pieces. yeah, I was, I was going to say, it seems like you're, you're just giving the kids a lot more, I guess, yeah, of agency and respect, and they're lapping that up and then meeting you in the middle rather than dictating what can and can't be done and treating them like they're, you know, stupid essentially, or, you know, not, not responsible, but giving them that respect. It's like giving them a grade A, like Ben Zander would say, you know, yeah. you give them a grade A and they'll, they'll rise to meet it and yeah. meet you there and not assuming that they've got to be told exactly what to do, exactly what to wear, where to show up and just being told everything. They have no control or agency in that, that other way of, of working. Yeah. And Rich, you know, there's a really good Jerome Bruner kind of paraphrase quote that I sit with, which is, you know, teaching is not a transmission. You know, we've got, we've got this transmission system that sits because we're a knowledge-based information outcome-based schooling model where you have to know this. And if you don't, you're falling behind or you've got to catch up. I mean, as an adult in my working place, in my working sphere i've never had anyone say catch up to me or john you're falling behind <laughs> you know and and that that element is really important because the 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 transmission means i've got all this information in my head and if you know what i'm thinking and you can answer the correct question that i'm asking of you you're smart and i know there's so much more complexity to being smart that, that schools need to have a greater net of understanding. And, you know, my father-in-law said at the, the role of a parent, which is like a teacher, is to get the kids onto the tightrope so they'll walk the tightrope and you are the safety net. You're there to catch them if they fall. And cheer them on. This is really, really important we understand is that our children need to grow up to be better than us. And we can't fast-track them through all the hurdles that we had to jump through to avoid it, we've got to celebrate that they're going to have hard times. You know, life is a wave. You're going to have the pitfalls of troughs and you're going to have the elation of the peaks. Yeah. But it's about moving through that frequency 
that is going to make us just love being alive. Yeah. And I love what you, the way you talk about embracing failure and falling and that sort of thing and, and being on the edge of your, I don't want to say comfort zone, but, you know, celebrating the fact that, you know, that's how we do, you know, learn and move forward and, and leaning into your passion. Yeah. And, you know, challenge-based learning, I have this model for it as well, which is an understanding that, you know, that there's the hyper idea of breaking through your comfort zone and growth happens, extends outside, <laughs> you know, all that kind of hypo stuff. Whereas actually I want to educate and explicitly educate that if you don't get through your comfort zone, you're going to meet emotion to get there. You know, anybody who's jumped out of an airplane or anyone who's done something that's dramatically pushing that boundary, what happens is you start to feel a little worry. You, that builds to anxiety. That fe- builds to fear. That builds to anger and, and sad tears, angry tears. And then if you don't do it, you revert back to your comfort zone, but you feel regret. And that regret, that feeling of I should have, is what we want to lean into because that leads to the next phase inside, which is I'm going to have another go. I'm going to lean into this. And we know from Lee Duckworth, that's grit. And if we can teach students to have grit, resilience, to have another go, that's growth. So it's not about breaking down walls. It's it's understanding how you internalize the feeling and the perception to be engaged, to have another crack. Yeah, and providing an environment where, you know, the, the kids don't feel any shame. Like there's no, the, the whole group is not like, you know, 10 kids jumped out the plane and two stayed behind and so the two feel really bad. It's, I imagine it's like how as a group do we, do we get around this? All right, okay, you know. Yeah, and, and you know, th- this is the other thing. In schools we, we individualize success to a great degree because it's it's through a test mark it's through a rubric and what level are you at and where are you and when we get it back we say oh what mark did you get <laughs> yeah imagine imagine if we just simply flipped it we can still do tests but when we hand back the results that the educator or the guide can be saying hey listen in this class some of us have got really good knowledge and some of us don't we need to support each other how are we as a class going to take responsibility how are you who's found success going to support and empower those who haven't? How are you who haven't found the urge and, and the drive and, and the desire to improve? Now, if you can do that as a class base, then everyone's growing. Yeah. Yep. You, know, you don't get that disparity of people moving forward and others getting left behind and no, feeling no. bad and everything. Yeah, and all of a sudden I got a band six and I'm a quality school because I got five <laughs> band sixes, you know. like We've all got this cognitive bias. We've all been indoctrinated in a system. And, Rich, the interesting thing is that the system hasn't changed, you know. This is the big issue. You know, if you name, and I'm not alternate, I'm progressive, but if you name alternate schooling systems, people are going to probably jump into Montessori or they'll jump into Steiner. They might jump into Democratic, which is A.S. Neal's founding. He didn't ever call it that. But let's unpack that. Montessori schools, Maria didn't finish it, didn't get to the middle school. Great program. But that was 1909. Steiner schools, Waldorf, made for the cigarette factory workers, 1919. I mean, this is 100 years ago. (laughs) 
yeah, well, <laughs> of all the, of all the establishments that should be adapting and and progressing, it should be the education establishment. <laughs> the underpinning of everything is this world is going to need change. The only way we're going to tackle some of the challenges, and we will, that are there, everything is based on education. Everything. So how much importance are we putting into education to be the solution finders for challenges we have now? How much are we saying, hey, these concepts that we have, you are so lucky. It's like Newton. I'm standing on shoulders of giants. There's all this stuff we've worked out. You know, learn it and then use it so that you can take us next, next level, next level. And that's a responsibility you have to us. You know, yeah. I think there's a real important piece for allowing students not just to be fed but to actually want to feed and, and want to share. And I don't think we've, we've, we've really settled on the understanding of how to teach collaboration. And all businesses are saying it. We want kids, we want learners who can collaborate. So can you go back to the model then that you've created for the school? Yeah, so the model is, firstly, as I said, there's there's shorter terms, so you don't have burnout, you don't have kids watching videos and teachers who are feeling exhausted, you know, these reality. Um, the, the school is based around this understanding of, of three layers. One is uh, connections. Can we integrate learning so that there's a big understanding around a topic, but it's not called maths, and you leave that room and you go to then science. So that big connections is around our keystone theme of, of, you know, whether it's identity, nature, life and living per se. Yeah. So we're trying to say, hey, how does science fit into this topic? And science, genetics. How does maths fit in this, uh, this topic? Well, maths is the toolkit for, for science, the language of unpacking science. Where does English sit in this presentation of timelines and and hereditary and and everything else where does history well we can start to look at the theories of of the rift valley uh, geology let's look at the location so do you see how we have this connections yeah. where it's it's bigger and broader then it's a different have- it's a totally different lens isn't it so instead of like passing it out into its separate components like math sits out there on its own and then you've got to come up with some way of engaging people in in this abstract thing that doesn't make any sense um on its own and and what you're doing you're you're basically going right let's just find something really interesting that the kids are really involved and 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 you know curious about and let's just like weave in all the elements of you know the, the you know science maths everything around this like interesting topic yeah, and that's that's one layer of it. Then the next layer is, hey, as I said before, there are theories, there are concepts that we know. You know, let's not look at fractions as, oh, I've got to learn fractions, I've got to know numerators, denominators, and all that sort of thing. Let's look at it as, hey, someone's come up with this idea and they're giving it, they've gifted it to you through history so that you don't have to go through all the exploration. So we want kids to understand the basic understandings and concepts, dare I say it, um, the basics um, of English, maths, and science, yeah? And then let's put it into context. So let's look at how do we take these things and make it into an aha moment, will be that Pythagoras' theorem and measuring out a rope with, with the knots, 12 knots, 12 
units and all of a sudden you've got a three, four, five, hey, wow, I've just created a right angle and now I understand how I can build. So then on the Friday, every Friday when the world went nuts and all of a sudden everyone went online and we thought that this is going to be the great individualization of, of learning with COVID, we went, I don't want to do that. So we went on land. So every Friday our kids are coming into an arena of a farm space, a really creative space, and they can be learning skills, integrating all that knowledge into, say, canoeing, into surfing, uh, into cooking, into gardening, uh, into construction, building things. So, And then we bring in builders into there and parents into there and artisans into there. So that's a real fundamental piece for the school. Yeah, I love the way that you actually bring someone in for, say, six weeks and, and it's around a project. And so like the lawyer that you brought in and you ended up teaching human rights for a, a short period of time, like, it's like, why why would you actually try and get generalist teachers to actually teach a subject that they're not really into? Whereas you can bring in someone who's absolutely passionate or world class in a specific topic for a short sprint and yeah. the kids get the best like insight into what it's actually like to do that thing in the real world so to speak and not have just a a chinese whispers version of you know or a a watered down version yeah yeah and you know when you think like that too well you know a teacher can be moving through spaces you know we've got our guardian teachers what we call our guardian teachers who are really about the relationships and embedding that in with circles so we have circle time in the morning like it's a steiner-esque um, idea we borrow it's helpful from- having geodesic domes as well isn't it <laughs> yeah yeah yeah, yes. yeah so you know we've got trains you know so where we need a new classroom all of a sudden we said hey we're growing our school we're going to need, need a new classroom now most schools would say okay let's put on a demountable yeah um, we went let's get a houseboat so <laughs> so why not so we've got a we've got a classroom that's a day boat and it can move around the river and the kids can go on a boat and then go around. They can still be learning and they're learning in a different environment. And, and that's interesting. You know, boredom, mundane routines make you feel easy. And we've got to, as I said, catalyze and agitation and, and move and get kids thinking and teachers, you know, get teachers, get adults thinking like we're learning. So, you know, that's, and I love that word you used about a lens. You know, schools have this terminology inside it that sits without really unpacking it. So frameworks, um, scaffolds, as I've used, but these are all structures that hold you in. You know, when I talk through our EQ, IQ, PQ, XQ modeling, we, we call it lenses, you know, learning lenses, as you've framed you put on something and you can see clearly. You go, ah, oh, it's a deliberate act of looking at it differently. And that's what our school is trying to promote. And I say trying because we, we do great things, but we're not perfect. We make mistakes. We'll listen. We reflect. We refine. But everybody's driven towards let's do the best we can do. Yeah. And it's that idea of like, it's iteration one, iteration two, just constantly iterating to improve. I mean, what have been some of the challenges that you've had, John? well first of all i thought starting a school it took me five years to start a school you know that's 
that's the process of, of someone going through the accreditation. And this isn't your first rodeo, is it? It's not like you're just a parent that cares and went, oh, I, should, I think we should start a school. Like you have decades oh, yeah, yeah. of experience. <laughs> yeah. yeah, like I've been in, in this world and, and I wanted to step off and do my own. Yeah, and I'm inspired by people such as John Marsden and, and these people who have done that. But, yeah, when we're creating these elements, it is about understanding um, that we're, we have to give everything to it, yeah? So, so this isn't a school like a fish and chip shop where you can say, oh, let's do five years and then we'll – this is a legacy that you've got to commit to, and that focus is, is what we're really striving to achieve leaning into it and making mistakes, refining, reiterating. You know, we're a startup. In 2020, I thought, great, great year, 2020 vision. In 2019, we had the massive bushfires. So we started under this gloom of haze to begin with. Then in at the end of 2020, if everyone remembers, all of a sudden we've got this crazy stuff called COVID. So COVID hits us and all of a sudden we're having to lean into online learning and doing crazy things and being a bit shifty and how we move and, and apply the understanding of what we have to. Then in 20, last year, 2022, we come out of COVID, we're just at the end of COVID, and all of a sudden we get the biggest flood in history and all our campuses are inundated. We lose everything, everything. Now, in, in schools that weren't even flooded in this area, they were closed for weeks. We were reopened four days later because we can use community space. So we're at Lennox Head. We've, we've got the support of the community. We've, we're in the, the sports fields. Uh, we've got the Fiji rugby team coming in and singing and supporting us. We've got all these crazy things happening. And so, you know, the adversity of that, all of a sudden four weeks later we get another massive flood. <laughs> yeah. So people forget. They go, oh, that wasn't a big flood. It was still the sixth biggest flood in our history, in European history. So, so then we've got, you know, all the fatigue, all the trauma that comes with that, some of our teachers, you know, these things, they impact people and community. So these are the challenges. But you know what? It's really, really important we do that. The flood brought us all together. The flood made those people feel more connected and more unified in what we're doing. The flood allowed us to access university space, so we now have a campus at the university. The flood allowed us to come back bigger and better in the sense of our learning environment, of the spaces that we're renovating and restoring. Um, the flood's going to allow us to create the most amazing school in the heart of Lismore. All the other schools are fearing the flood and they won't come back because of insurance. I'm going, well, let's build to meet floods. You know, we're going to be flooded again. Let's not use gyprock. Let's have a rainforest so we can hose all of the flood water into the rainforest that sits in the middle of the school. And then we can actually put over mulch. And then natural process will break down those contaminants. Let's, let's you know, schools have communities. So when we need to move things or when we need to wash things, we've got hundreds of people committed to us. So, and by doing that natural disaster, we're teaching this understanding of respect and reverence and awe for nature. You know, humans don't own this planet. We cohabitate. We have a responsibility as little monkeys with clothes, you know, sapiens, 
to, to start to have respect for what nature is. And I think these fundamental challenges are actually embedded in our culture. Yeah. I mean, it's always been like fighting nature, isn't it? How do we control and, you know, sort of dictate how a system works? And and we've only really deconstructed it and don't fully understand all these systems anyway. This is this is so, you know, like it's really important, Rich. You know, we, I think it was E.O. Wilson. He passed away a year ago or so. But he was all talking about ecophilia. And there are a lot of schools out there, a lot of teachers who are so committed to protecting the environment that we actually create fear in children. You know, the climate change, the pollution crisis, animals dying. I mean, you can find so many news stories, like actually listen to news stories and count how many positives to how many negatives. Just do it as an exercise. It's fascinating. (laughs) But if if Is it what, 10 to 20 to 1 or something? Well, I don't think there's even one. You know, I, I, I was <laughs> yeah. there yesterday in my driving along listening to the news and, and I said this, you know, let's count the positives. A negative, 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 because it's sensational news yeah. 24-7. But if we go back to thinking about E.O. Wilson is saying, let's not get kids to fear nature. Before we can do that, we've got to have biophilia. We've got to have a love of the environment because we care for what we love. We don't, we don't want to be in things that are scary or hard. So, so our school wants kids to find the wonder in a seed. You know, what's the difference between a seed and a pebble? What's the difference between dirt and soil? You know, these are really interesting concepts that make you curious and wonder. And it's really important that in our egocentric world, where it's self-satisfied what I can get when I want, how I want, and I have every right to have it, we actually start to say, hey, have you thought about how big space is? Do you know the iron in your blood came from a bursting sun? Do you understand the land we're sitting on used to be a volcano, but it wasn't here, that this whole location used to be in Tasmania? You know, all of a sudden they're going, oh, wow. (laughs) That's so much better than kids sitting at a desk going, I got to get my eyes right because I've got a mark off the board and here yeah. or I've got to type really quickly to catch up. You know. What, what are the lessons that you have for parents then? What are, you must have seen a transition when parents, you know, new families come to the school and so on. Yeah. What adv- I, I guess, yeah, what advice do you have for parents that are Trust. in the system and, you know, want their kids to, you know, have that reverence and, you know, step outside of the mold trust you know parker palmer said that the the greatest problem we have is fear everyone fears will my kids get into an education system will my kids be able to get into university it's all these forecasting fear that leads us to try to control lives if we if we have a respect that that trust that students are learning and that learning is such a dynamic, broad scope and that you can be part of it and that you are learning as well and that you have been indoctrinated. Doris Lessing in the little notebook says, you know, the first thing we should say to kids is you're coming into a system that I've been in and it's an indoctrination. It's not perfect. We're just going to indoctrinate you and you'll indoctrinate the next generation. I mean, when you unpack that, you're going, well, hang on. 
let's let's actually start thinking deeply about the personal connections, the personal drive. You know, what is going to make success for a, for an adult, for a person? And I don't mean a twenty year old. I don't mean a thirty year old. I mean, you know, success is a seventy five year old. Who's what does that look like? And it's going to look like still having the values of respect, still having the values of taking responsibility, positive and productive relationships, social connections, engagement, so you're doing things, having confidence, being open to new ideas, being resilient, striving for excellence, being passionate, patient, positive, persevering. Those are the capacities of attitudes. And then being organized, remembering things, being able to think with effort, with ease. You know, so if we start unpacking it, that's what success is. So are we allowing a breadth of that experience to grow through a child, through an adult, through a teenager? Or are we saying, hey, listen, these kids need to be able to get an essay with a topic sentence correctly five paraphrase statements, three quotations from Shakespeare, a great introduction, a great conclusion, a matrix that's marked so that it's reliable and all of a sudden now you're ready for the world of tertiary education or career. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and there's all, all, all the people worrying about kids cheating and stuff. You know, yeah, exactly. said, well, okay, we embrace it. I mean, let's think about where artificial intelligence is going to go. You know, the one thing that I've always held on to, and and people have to research this, you know, if people really want to know things, be inquisitive, go and find the documents that will actually allow you to have a platform that you can stand on. You know, human exceptionalism is not going to be repeatable by a machine. Human exceptionalism is emotional regulation, it is creative thinking, it is critical analysis, it is networking and being able to really lean in and listen, really lean in and talk, communicate, share. You know, human exceptionalism is still going to be human. We're just going to keep on trying to find things to make our lives easier and as a result they become more complicated and as a result we become more manipulated and as a result we become more controlled. So my view is let's broaden that. Let's break down the greatest problem we've got for the future. The greatest problem for the future is not population growth. It isn't climate change. It isn't the fear of of war or lack of water. The greatest problem we've got for the future is apathy. I mean, if humans all wanted to do something and improve the planet, improve the environment, improve the social context, improve the housing crisis. I mean, if humans acted without apathy, saying someone else will do it or it's a government's responsibility, that is success. Yeah, I love it. Now, I'm very conscious, John, that you're creating this amazing I want to say space, but it's it's more than that. And that's one instance of this. The vast majority of the world is still in this tradition, locked in step in this traditional model. If you're an educator listening to this, what would be 
your advice? Like how can traditional systems start to break out of that, you know, that old way of thinking? Is it possible or, or do you just have to start afresh? No, I think it's really possible. And, you know, we've still got a lot of we, – we take from what we call mainstream and there's, there, I, I, I just think they're, they're really good schools. Yeah, schooling's great. It's bringing social connections of kids who are neither your friends nor your relatives together. Problem is it's chronological, it's an age group and all the rest of it, yeah? But as a teacher and educator, first thing I'd be saying is, okay, is learning life worthy? Like I, what you're teaching, is it life worthy or is it not? Second thing I'd say is, why are you in a classroom all the time? And is your classroom always the same? And when you look around that classroom, are you showing learning? You know, these are simple things. How many excursions? How many trips? It could be a walk just outside. It could be, you know, lying on your back staring at clouds and understanding nephology, the, the science of clouds. You know, th- there's so much wonder outside the classroom, away from the screen. How much? How many hours are you using your iPads, your reading eggs for little kids, your, your screen, your whiteboard where you're instructing? You know, just how, how much are you moving around a classroom? You know, think about having a colleague come in and just do a sociogram of where you're moving within a lesson and be reflective. Don't fear it. Your teachers, teachers are really interesting because we don't want to put onto other people because we feel this humility of I don't know it all. So, so as a result, though, we've got to share more time together. And if teachers could come together and, and say, hey, I'm learning this and you're doing this, can we do it around a really cool idea? And just, just have pinpoints in a year that you're going to try and do something different. Don't try and do it all at once. Just say, hey, let's, let's just go to a nursing home. Or, hey, let's go out and see if we can get the kids to busk. Or, can we, <laughs> you know, let's, let's see, can we connect with the community? Can we go to St. Vinnie de Paul and say, do you need help folding clothes or sorting clothes? Um, land care. Hey, guys, we, we'd love to come and, and just plant some trees for you. you. You know, I'm not saying that's a solution, but I'm saying it's start. And, I, and you know, as I say, I, I'm not trying to, to say that what we're doing is the answer. It's not. It's just one way of us reflecting on what we want to do. And we, we make mistakes, but we feel empowered. One of the, the terminologies we have with our teachers is untethered teaching. I mean, if I've got a teacher teaching something that they're really super passionate about, I tell you, it's the best learning that's going to happen. I've got a year four teacher who teaches the school of rock. And so all of a sudden we get <laughs> rock bands. We get these kids playing, you know, rock songs, dare I say, and, and as a result, the community's all going, wow, how good are these kids? And they're all <laughs> dancing. And all of a sudden, adults are now being grown-up children. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. yeah. It's not so serious. The world doesn't need to be serious. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. <laughs> That's awesome, John. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for the, the work you're doing and the dedication you have. and. Like when we toured the school, it was mind blowing. Like just to see the kids having such 
an amazing time, but also the teachers having yeah. such an amazing time. It did not look like anyone was actually working. And I don't mean that in a derogatory <laughs> way. I mean it in like people were just, yeah, they were thriving. And it was, it's testament to, you know, the work you guys are putting in and, and being agile and, and following, you know, what you feel is a, is the, a much better way to do things. And yeah, hats off to you. I, I'd, I'd like to conclude, Rich, by saying, you know, that the early years have this framework, which is a framework, but it's it's a really good way of looking at things. This lens is to say being, belonging, becoming. You know, allowing, children's to, allowing children to be, allowing children to become, not us, and, and allowing our children to feel a sense of belonging. If, if all schools can do that in whatever context of education they want to deliver, there'll be success. Couldn't agree more, John. That's fantastic. Thanks so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. It's great. Lovely to chat, Rich. Well, thanks for listening. If you're interested in reading more about John and the Living School, I'll put links in the show notes at thedadmindset.com. Before we go, if you're in Australia and looking for a way to better manage how your kids deal with pocket money and spending, I can't recommend Spriggy enough. If you'd like to give it a go, it's usually $30 to get a debit card for each child. But if you click the link in this week's episode in the show notes or go to thedadmindset.com forward slash useful stuff, all one word, you can get $20 back when you sign up. If this episode has resonated with you and you haven't already, the thing that you can do to help the most is to subscribe to the podcast on Apple or Spotify and a review would be awesome. Well, that's about all from me for now. Hope you have a great week. And as always, enjoy your caffeinated beverage. Mm-hmm.